I'm Kalila Reynolds and welcome to another live edition of Taking Stock. We're bringing you all the latest business news and telling you how it will affect you and your money. Now, I am not 100% tonight. As a matter of fact, I came very close to saying, you know what? I was not doing the show today, but I always show up for you guys. And usually if something happens, which I have a backup plan and, you know, I just didn't want to leave you hanging at the last minute. So you probably can tell by my eyes that something's kind of going on. Even the visine wasn't clearing it up fully. So if you're wondering how Kalila looks so, that's the explanation. But I do want to remind you to hit the like button because I showed up for you. So you, you need to show up for me now. Hit the like button, subscribe to this channel, and share the video with a friend. And let me know in the comments where you're joining us from. We've got a great show lined up for you. So here's a look at what's coming up in tonight's show, followed by what's hot in business. And as usual, let's get this money. Stationery and office supplies recorded its highest quarterly revenues in Q1 and another company is looking to expand into the Caribbean. Plus, the company's board recently approved a 9-to-1 stock split. What other plans does the company have up its sleeve? Managing Director at SOS Alan McDaniel joins us to discuss. And the analysts weigh on the latest market developments. FinSAC finally sold its stake in Sibony. Who are the new owners? And in the U.S., the Federal Reserve says 23 of the country's biggest banks survived its severe recession scenario stress test. We'll discuss. But first, here's what's hot, brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. Sibony Group has a new owner, finally. The financial sector adjustment company FinSAC sold its 72% stake in a deal that was finalized on June 29. The shares were sold to Wiltshire Consulting and Advisory, which is owned by businessman Wayne Ray. Sibony was a shell company with no assets. However, it previously held properties in the tourism sector. According to the announcement, a Wiltshire subsidiary, IEC Energy Company, will now hold and own the shares. Ray is the managing director of 365 Retail, which operates a Total Energy's service station. Telecommunication provider Digicel is giving up a 62% stake in the company to bondholders in a debt-to-equity exchange. The move will reportedly see Digicel's debt cut by 1.7 billion US dollars and annual interest payments reduced by 120 million US. The move will also see founder and chairman Dennis O'Brien's stake in the company reduced to 10%. NCB Financial Group is looking to raise up to $4.2 billion in its latest bond offer. The company said the proceeds from the bond will be used to refinance some of its existing debt, among other things. The bond is being offered at a fixed interest rate of 10.75% and matures after two years. Investors can apply for a minimum of $100,000, followed by increments of $10,000. The offer opened on June 19 and is expected to close on July 6. The Nasdaq surged almost 32% during the first half of the year, its best performance since 1983. The performance was spurred on by an improved performance by large tech companies. Meta's stock price climbed 130% during the first six months, while Netflix rose 49% and Apple 55%. The rise of artificial intelligence has also pushed companies like US-based chipmaker NVIDIA into top-tier status. 
The stock is up almost 200% this year. What's Hot was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Welcome back and big ups to Bulwark. You know, our day one, we appreciate you. Check out Bulwark Insurance Agency when you have some time. So first, let's shout out our early viewers. Elaine, always early, says, let's get the cabbage. Strong link. Greetings, investors from Manor Park, uptown, uptown. Lamtree missed two weeks, never again. You missed two pretty good weeks, Lamtree. I hope you just mean missed two weeks live and you were able to catch the replay because we had two some pretty good shows uh, over the past month. Kish, always greetings everyone from the heart of London. Leon, blessings from Jamaica. Antoinette says Arizona in the house. Nana sends as usual, joining us from far, far away. Christopher checking in from Kingston. Anthony says, Portmore in the building. Leon says, happy I showed up. Thank you very much, Leon. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, who else we have? Craig says, let's go. First time joining live, joining from Kingston 20. Get well soon. Good to see you here live, Craig. I hope to see you again some more. Elaine, early on the draw, as usual, I saw Fosrich uh, rights issue circular just now. You beat me to it because I haven't even seen it yet. So I literally just went to the website after I saw this comment and it was posted after five or just around five, 5.27 p.m. So yeah, fresh, fresh breeze just joined. And Aline thinks it's a slap in the face of shareholders because of the price. We can discuss later on, or perhaps with the analysts. I don't know if they've had a chance to see it yet because like I said, just, just come out. But yeah, Fosterich rights issue is now out and live. But this evening we are talking about stationery and office supplies. They've been in the news a lot recently. Shareholders will vote later this month to approve a stock split. And the company is planning on expanding to Trinidad and Tobago and the Cayman Islands. So here to tell us more about the company's plans is Managing Director Alan McDaniel. Hi, Alan. Good evening. How are you doing? I am great. It's our first time having you on, so welcome to Taking Stock. Thank you very much. Well, for those of our viewers who may not be very familiar with the company, give us some background. How did you start? What do you do? Tell us well, all about your story. It's a long story, actually, because this year uh, represents 58 years since Station Off Supplies has been in business. Did Open you say 50, in 50, 58, actually. 58. Wow. That is a long story. Yeah, started back in 1965 with my uh, my parents at the time, and uh, right now we are we are focused on providing quality office furniture and stationery for the day-to-day -day operational operations. Um, we have expanded that into warehousing products. We've gone into manufacturing, where they um, manufacture this C-line of products, books. You know, the old-time school books that everyone uses. Um, and our, our goal is just to make sure that we can provide high quality products at a reasonable price throughout Jamaica. Right. So what has that journey been like? So you took over from your parents. What was it like, you know, running a family business, growing up in the industry? How has that been? Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing, actually, because I have a good, a good amount of experience because I believe from I was in high school as a teenager, I used to go there and work at summers. And um, when I went away to school, my goal was coming back to work there as well. 
Um, it's definitely a family organization. There is, I have two sisters, my parents are still there and a brother-in-law in the company and we all operate and control different divisions within the company. So it's been quite a, it's been quite an uphill battle, but something we're proud of where we reached to this point. Now, we all know in Jamaica, the Sikh books are legendary. Mm -hmm. How did that acquisition come about? Well, there's an opportunity that uh, came to us right after we had listed back in 2017. And in 2018, having known the owners of Sikh at the time, they were looking to expand um, and wanting some help. And it turned out to be a perfect opportunity for us to get into the back to school market, something that we had previously never been a part of. We took the chance. We took it over. We've expanded it. We've expanded the lines. We've expanded the product range. And we're very happy with what's happened so far. Obviously, during COVID, that was not the best time to be manufacturing school books as with everything. <laughs> right. But ever since then, we're back on back on track and doing better than ever. So how has it impacted the business? Well, just like everything else we do, every little thing that we do adds to our bottom line. And every year we're trying to find something that's going to help us to increase and to grow our revenues. Um, Seek itself is probably about somewhere between 8 to 10% of our annual revenues and continuing to grow. And at the same time, station house price has grown significantly over the, la over the last few years, um, hitting our all-time high last year of $1.75 in revenues, which is a, about a 60% increase year on year. And with all the things that we're doing, including Seek, including our warehousing material, everything's just helping to make the company continue to grow. Nice. Well, you mentioned the impact of COVID-19, which is something I definitely want to ask about because schools were closed, businesses, people were working from home. So I guess, I don't know if they were buying office furniture at that time. How did that impact SOS? Oh, significantly impacted us. There is one thing we've always stated and we go how the economy goes. We're not in a unique business. And once everybody's doing well, we will continue to do well around them. We have a it's strange. Office supplies and furniture is the first thing people cut when there's times are hard. It's just as simple as that. They, you know, something that they already have that they don't need to replace, something that they try to cut back on, just like everybody else, you know, cut back on paper, stop using this, stop, you know, spending excessively. And one of the first things they do cut is office supplies and the purchase of furniture. So during COVID, we were able to keep our head above water. We, we made it through. And um, we, I think based on all the tightening up that we did and the plans that we put in place, we actually came out of it um, better than ever, to be perfectly honest with you. Nice. So school re reopened. We had mm -hmm. a return to in-person working. How That's did correct. that affect your finances? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was a positive effect because, yes, exactly. we definitely got into the home market where people were working from home or even organizations were helping their employees setting them up at home but there is just nothing like being in an organization um people it's it's a different feel i find that when you're there in the workplace and you're getting the feeling of everything that's going on around you uh it it helps it helps business it helps motivate persons and just coming out of covid and getting back to businesses and giving the opportunity for people to start to grow once again to open new things it's um it, it's another positive effect on us and we've continued to benefit from that and then you actually went on to have a record-breaking financial year in 2022. So yes. not just good compared to COVID years, which naturally mm -hmm. is going to be a lot better, but record-breaking. So what That's contributed great. to that, would you say? Honestly, I believe it's a lot to do with the management and, and the planning and the organizing we did. We had an opportunity during COVID to say, like most people, to cut back and you know just hold things up to, close to the chest. 
But we, as a group, decided that we were going to continue to expand. We were going to continue to make sure we had the products available for those who were there. And that allowed us to continue to supply smaller entities that couldn't afford to continue to bring things in. I mean, during COVID, container shipments alone rose from $3,000 US to bring a container from China to over $20,000. And that just made goods very expensive and very hard to stock what you used to have. So we use that as an opportunity to make sure that when people were here and when people were ready to buy, we had products on hand. And from that, we also were able to great, um, gain a lot more distribution with our smaller office supply companies who used us as their, as their outlet. And so increasing inventory and making the plans for that as we got back into 2021 and, and to, into last year, um, the business has continued to grow as things normalized. So when it comes to like your office furniture side, is it mm -hmm. you, you get local suppliers or it's imported items that you mostly sell? 95% of the stuff we import. Um, not only that, but we've gone a step further in the last, let's say, 10 years. And we started manufacturing our own lines of furniture, working with factories in China and elsewhere. We oh. found that with our knowledge of what was expected here, because truthfully, we're five to anywhere between five to 10 years behind first world countries in terms of what the expectation is, in terms of the pricing that they're looking for, in terms of just the products as, as overall. So what we did is we created first our image line of products, which is our own um, cabinets and metal products and chairs, our torch line of furniture, which was a new desk line that we brought in specifically for the Caribbean market. And in just recently, within the last year, we started our new Evolve line of furniture. So we're not just pretty much picking up out of a book and importing it, we're actually taking the time to talk about what was required, the thicknesses, the colors, the consistency, the quality of everything. So we've really designed our own products uh, that are doing very well out here and throughout the other Caribbean where we're able to sell to. It's a great move. Is it? Is it that it can't be done competitively here though, the manufacturing? Oh, sorry for that background. No, it definitely cannot. Um, just the whole manufacturing and the cost of manufactured goods here background yeah they, they decided to show us what it takes to manufacture stuff locally <laughs> yes so yes it's very difficult um to be very honest i have looked into it personally myself and the cost of importation and the cost of the material plus equipment to get it done is so exorbitant for the the quantity that we actually would be able to produce and sell out here it is cost effective to bring it here to be honest now what we do do is we bring all of our products flat or knocked on as they refer to it. And so a cabinet, for example, comes in a two inch box and our teams here do all the assembly and, and, and I want to use the word manufacturer, but put it together as much as we can here. So we do do quite a, uh, it's very labor intensive what we do. Um, so we assemble, we uh, put it together and we package it here for resale. So when you sell it, you sell it assembled. One of the things that we definitely do is we offer a turnkey operation in, in sense. So if you come to us and your offices would want something, we not only you can come there, pick it, look at our showroom, have a get to, to get to feel it before it even comes to you. But not only that, we deliver it, we install it, and we give you the warranty on it there afterwards. Okay, great. So we don't expect you actually have to lift a hand. I've been doing quite a bit of assembly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Trying, I assemble this chair. I assembled a lot of stuff that I didn't know I could do. Because I didn't know when you buy stuff. Most of the time, they send it to you in a box that you have to assemble. Most of the time, that is the case. But we found yeah. that for the service side of it. I mean, we have, our team is over 
170 strong now. So we pride ourselves in making sure that we can do everything in-house. So whether it's one chair or 10 floors, we're going to come and do it for you. And it's just part of the service to make sure that you always want to come back to, you know, where you got the best service and the best products. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the recent developments, one being the stock splits that mm -hmm. the board recently approved. It's going to be a nine to one stock split. Tell us a bit about the decision to do that. Why now and why nine to one? Well, we always, since we listed back in 2017, uh, it's obviously something that we've been learning as going along, especially for myself. And we had always had in our head that we wanted to hit a $20 mark. Uh, we are assuming we're going to continue to grow. And that was always our plan, of course. But in the, uh, speaking to brokers and financial persons who are, you know, uh, a lot more versed on the subject, we always looked at a 20 to, 20 to 1, a $20 uh, share price to look at the split because we also found that our 91% of our shares are in the top 10 hands. So we don't find that there's a lot of trading. And one of the side effects of being on the stock exchange as well, which I don't think gets spoken about enough, is the publicity you get and the exposure you get. Right. And the amount of persons that come to speak to me and say, listen, I want to buy from you guys because I'm a shareholder. Or it's just it's a way of the, your name always being out in the public. And we try to make sure that we're always doing something. We're always keeping people abreast of what we're doing. And the more exposure we get, the better we're going to continue to do. So we definitely did it from that point of view, as well as the fact is that we would like to see our, our shares trade in more frequently and in more volume. Um, so right now, what does seem like the right time, we have a lot going on. We have a lot of expansion. We have a lot of growth happening. And the concept of the nine to one came from a lot of discussions with the brokers and to know where we want to be once the split is done. Now we listed back in 2017 at $2. So we never, we didn't want to be down there or lower than what we originally listed for. But at the same time, we had the highest stock price of any company on the junior market when we were at, I think even when we were at $15, but even more so now. So what we found is that we wanted to find and have that medium. You're still growth. the highest on the junior market now? Cause I, I just looked up the price. It ended today yes. at 2760. So Correct. that's the highest on the junior market right now. That is that, that it is. And we are talking strictly just share price, not, you know, valuation point. From right. point of view. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we hit a, a medium price where persons who are limited in what they can spend can look and say, I can get somewhere between a two to three dollar share or in around that region to be able to continue to uh, to gather some shares for themselves and um, allow them opportunity to buy more. So that was the, the concept behind the 91 split, which will you know, if we did it right now, it would put us, what is that, about somewhere around 350 about $3, somewhere in that region, right, which we find is a, is a sweet spot that we would like everyone to be able to, to afford us. So we're not the cheapest and we're not the most expensive anymore. All right. Yeah. So you guys had a look at the chart just now. Uh, you had a pretty good run this year. So you started the excellent. year. You started, I already stopped sharing the screen, but you started the year, I can't say where you started. 20 something in the 20 something range no 14 somewhere in that region yes you started the year at 1574 mm -hmm. and you're up now to 27 and something so a pretty good uh, run year to date you're up 63 percent actually nice. hit a high of last week at i think it was just over 34 dollars too actually let me just go back and share again so the audience can see exactly what i'm looking at this is from the jse's website so here's here are the details. So here we are today at 2760. You had a high just uh, 
last month, last week, really. Last week, 34-31. Yeah. Nice. And then earlier this year, we're looking at, so year to date, starting the year at, well, ending at 1692, and then January, where's January 2? Skip it a day for me. All right, <laughs> January 3, 1710. Yeah. And it's showing here, week to date, you're up almost 20%. Year to date, up 63%. So nice. Well, Doing believe, well, congratulations. Thank you. Well, I believe in 21, coming out of, or coming on the backside of COVID, we continued to, to show that we, are, we were very resilient and we came back. 22, I think we had a very successful year, obviously having our, our all-time high in terms of revenues. And I think turning around into this year, seeing that, we're gonna, that we have been continuing that trend, I think people are really starting to believe and understand that we are serious where we're going with this. And Strong Link says, excellent performance in a bear market because you realize most of the stocks are down and you guys are here up 63% in a bear market. Yes, that's no, we're very fortunate like that, yes. That's something to, to pay attention to indeed. So are you looking to also raise funds through the market anytime soon, possibly through an APO, bond, rights issue, some of these uh, popular methods? To be perfectly honest with you, um, I would probably say no to that at this point in time. The truth is, one of the things we're very proud of, it, proud of most is that our, our debt, our asset to debt ratio is one of the lowest on the stock exchange right now. We really believe in in keeping, uh, in not having to pay out uh, that much over time. And we do believe that we know we have access to funds right now for any project that we want to take on, any kind of um, growth or purchase that we want to do. So we do know that we have access to it. And as soon as the time comes that we need it, we will definitely we will definitely figure out what is our best way forward. Um, and I would say that's in the not too distant future. We have a lot of plans and a lot of things on the table that we're looking at. Well, I ask because I see that you're on a big expansion drive. You're building out warehouse space and you're moving into other territories. Why did you guys choose Trinidad and Tobago and the Cayman Islands as your next stop? You know, that is also part of just the whole growth plan. And we've spoken about doing a lot more regionally, and we have done projects throughout the years continuously with a lot of the contacts and other persons that we've met and other organizations we've dealt with. Uh, it started in Trinidad, and we were able to come to an agreement with the office authority over there, who is a manufacturer of paper products. And it, it was a perfect, at the time it was perfect for us. They wanted to get into the furniture market, something they are not doing right now. And it was an opportunity for us to also to look at the paper products that we were already importing and to, to form a partnership with this company. Now, it's it's a win-win for both sides, and it allows us to get our, our foot into Trinidad. And so far, they're doing very well, having gone three containers for the year purchased from us. And Cayman was another venture that uh, a local person who I actually do know who lives over there now, he's in the business of manufacturing interior design, interior doors and windows. And he thought this was a perfect add-on for him to continue his, his growth and offer a full interior service. So we are looking at that right now, and we're looking at other islands who want to distribute, and especially some of the smaller islands who can't afford to just bring in one container of one product. Um, they know they can come to us. They know they can buy a complete mix of container between stationary chairs, cabinets, and everything that's involved, and be able to get things significantly faster at reasonable prices for them to be able to resell down in their markets. So Jamaica would be the transshipment point. It would come here first and then you ship to them. Yes. So what we're doing is not even a container. It's our goods are being sold from our stock, from our inventory. 
And if you notice over the last two to three years, we're at a high now of somewhere in the region about 360 to 380 million in, in, in inventory. Now that is a specific push for not only our local market, but to make sure that we have product here for our Caribbean partners so that they can buy from us. And for example, to get in, uh, goods over to Cayman, we can have that package shipped and to them within two to three weeks, which is significantly faster than anything they can get out of the States or China for themselves. So it's coming here, it's coming into our inventory and they are able to pull from what we have here. That's awesome. Well, we have a question from Levar who says, with increased expansion in the BPO sector, does your company provide services to that sector? All the time. So even just recently, we completed a 200 seat call center in Montego Bay. We're working on another one in Portmore. I think there's about two more projects going on right now. Um, one of the things in our inventory that we do stock is the BPO sector has gotten so, the growth of BPO sector has it's gotten so big is that we actually stock um, partitions, chairs, surfaces to be able to outfit a 300 seat BPO tomorrow if somebody wanted. That's one of our focuses. So we do have the, the products in stock for tomorrow morning. So they no longer have to wait. They no longer have to order. They can start working and they can start immediately. Awesome. Well, before you go, Alan, any other plans that you want to tell us about at this time? Well, you know how the, the JSC and their rules are. So there's not a lot. Of <laughs> yes. about, but I will tell you that they, one of the great things about the organization and the persons in it is that none of us are really satisfied. None of us are sitting to say, hey, we've reached a point. Everyone wants to continue to grow. So one of the best things is that everybody's always looking at something, a new plan. Um, a year or two ago, we got into warehousing equipment. We do racking, we do industrial, uh, we do pallet jacks, hand trucks, all those kind of things. And I do know that right now we are looking to expand our warehousing facilities in Kingston. We've just literally, as of July 1st, taken on an additional 3,000 square foot uh, warehouse space in Montego Bay as well to double our operations down there. And we have so many projects on the horizon that we are looking for additional space to in preparation for them coming on. Wow. As a San Montego Bay, last question comes from Philip, who says, is the tourism hotel boom something you're poised to benefit from? Um, the whole point of the, the hotel boom definitely helps us because you can see that when COVID was going on and the hotel shut down, they still need to buy. So even though we're not directly influence, influencing the, the tourist persons or the tr persons traveling, we do quite a lot of work with the hotels for their day-to-day -day operational needs. We've done work for the hotels and every hotel room, most of the time they have a bed, a table and a chair. And we've provided those chairs and stuff. We do a lot of the background work within the, uh, the conference rooms, the meeting centers, the business centers. So even our Montego Bay branch, which uh, their sales last year increased by 50%. So just the reopening of the hotels provided such a boost to our, our business down there. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alan. When does the stock split take effect? So our AGM will be held on the 25th of July. And I believe the, the final date is August 2nd, I believe, or August 5th for the actual split to take, to take place. Okay, so we're looking at early August for yes. a stock split, a change in that price from the high 20s, maybe low 30s, down to maybe the $3 range. And Nano Sen says, from this company, can make it through the 70s and the 90s. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a resilient company because those were some tough times. I Thank you again for joining us. Anytime. Thank you. Okay. All right. So to our viewers, I have a question. 
What are you guys waiting on to join the Money Mission community? <laughs> so I saw some comments here in the chat earlier. Let me see. So we have we have Rachel. Got to big up Rachel. Rachel is one of our, you know, our solid, solid supporters. So Rachel says, sorry, Raquel, I'm seeing our subscribers. I love how she says our subscribers. Yeah, yes, tech ownership, Raquel, going up and up almost at 50K. I remember when I was like at, 5k and saying we want to get to 50,000 subscribers so we can get this money together and now we're almost there so yes loving it and she says like and come in money mission members she's also saying happy 4th of July to the Americans yes all our viewers abroad right now who are in the US of A if you are celebrating happy 4th of July to you because I see a lot of people a lot of African Americans boycotting the 4th of July this year they still take the holiday you know they still take the day off from work, but they're not celebrating independence because of what happened last week with the Supreme Court overturning affirmative action in schools and universities. What a decision. Kish, on to Kish. Kish says, gosh, I missed this NCB bond. 10.5% sounds like a great investment. Actually, it's 10.75% over two years, paid out every six months. And if you were in the Money Mission community, you would have heard about it earlier. I even did a breakdown in the community saying how much that's going to be in terms of dollars in your pocket. So 10.75 is easy maths. If you do $100,000 every six months, you're going to get $10,750 in your pocket. So over the lifespan of the bond, you'll get four payouts and that's over $40,000. Then you get back your $100,000 as well. So yeah, no, that's not right. It's 10.75% 10, 10 a year. So it's going to be half of that. So yeah. So over the lifespan, you'll get 20,000 and change. Talking foolishness. It's because I'm sick. <laughs> Blame it on the sickness. Well, yeah, yeah. It's still decent though, especially in these times. So bonds are doing pretty well right now. And if you don't know what a bond is, then you need to take investing for beginners. I met somebody last week who was like, Somebody asked him if he's going to invest in this particular bond and he realized, I don't know what a bond is. I need to, you know, jump on this course. And he did right when we had the sale. So lucky him. He was like the last person before I closed off the sale who was able to take advantage of that. Next week inside the community, it was supposed to be this week, but because I was sick, I didn't do it. Next week, we are going to do our semi-annual budgeting our semi-annual plan. So I plan to do these quarterly build your budget workshops and we're going to plan our quarters. And But this time we're going to plan the rest of the year. So July to December, build your budget workshop. And that's going to be Monday inside the Money Mission community. So you want to make sure that you are a member so you can join us for our build your budget workshop. We're going to plan the second half of 2023 we're going to plan Independence Weekend. I know you want to take the family out. You want to do something nice. You want to go on summer vacation. And then right after that, you have September morning. You have your school books. You have to go pay SOS for some seat books and textbooks. School fee. You hear prep school fees going up 40% this year. Yep, I got that note too. So we have to plan for that. And then right after that, bam, you turn around. It's Christmas. I need to plan for that as well. So let us make our plans. Let us sit down together and work on our budget 
inside the money mission community build your budget comes up on monday next week monday also coming up on the 17th of july is the first installment of ask mike with michael lee chin and i need to go back and watch the video sashel um go back and watch the episode we need to find that person who asked the question i think there were two people who asked about mentorship we need to offer them uh spaces in the mentorship so that they make sure that they get their questions asked since they were the person who asked the question that made all of this possible we need to get those two people on with michael leachin i have already sent out the link for you to apply for the mentorship it went out in our newsletter last week. So if you're not on the newsletter, boo for you. I keep telling you guys to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to it. Uh, if you are still not on the newsletter and you didn't get that or you missed it in your inbox or something, then you can, where can you find it? It's on my link tree. So if you go to my Instagram account and you tap the link in my bio, and then you'll see apply for mentorship with Michael Leachin. I'm going to send it out again in the newsletter sometime this week. We're going to have a, a little bit of press opportunities as well. But like I always tell you, between the newsletter and the Money Mission community, those are the best two ways to keep up with what's going on here and all the opportunities that abound, abound greatly. So become a part of that community by clicking the link in the description of this video. And it will also be pinned in the comment section right after the live. Now, here's a hurricane tip brought to you by CG United. Hurricane tips are brought to you by CG United. It's good like that. So last week we talked about what a deductible is and why you have to pay it. But do you even know how much your deductible is? Policy details are boring, right? Well, take my advice and check the terms of your policy. Your deductible is a set amount that you are responsible for paying before your policy starts paying for covered costs. That means it gets deducted from your total payout amount, hence its name, deducted, deductible, yeah. It's also called the excess because the insurance company will pay the amount in excess of this figure for each claim. So check your policy and get familiar with your deductible so that it's clear what your final payout would be in the event of a claim. And that's tonight. Hurricane tips were brought to you by CG United. It's good like that. Now on to tonight's poll question. How do you feel about the BOJ holding its policy rate at 7%? Good, that means inflation is stable. I bet other banks will still raise their interest rates. I'm not really sure what this means for Jamaica. I don't care or other, leave a comment. And while you're at it, hit that like button. Up next, we've got your market recap and the analysts are standing by. This segment of Taking Stock was brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Hey, moneymakers, join the KRM fam with our official merch. Get it now at KhalilaReynolds.com. Let's get this money. 
The JC Combined Index lost over 2,000 points in June. 127 stocks traded across the mainland junior markets for the month. 46 made gains, 73 lost value, and 8 stayed the same. 762 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, valued at $7.5 billion. Now here's a look at some of the highlights for the month of June. The main index lost 1%, the junior market was up 5%, while the financial index fell 3%, and the manufacturing and distribution index gained half a percent. Trans-Jamaican Highway was June's most traded stock. It took up 16% of market volume, with people buying and selling 123 million shares in the company. The stock opened June at $2.46. JFP was the month's second most traded stock. It lost $0.03 cents to open the new month at $1.75. And Wigdon rounded out June's most traded. The stock gained $0.06 cents to start July at $0.86. Cents. Now let's see who had the biggest gains for the month. Stationery and office supplies was June's biggest gainer. The stock climbed 49% to open July at $23.16. Caribbean Cream had the second biggest jump in June. The stock closed the month at $4.71. And Medical Disposables and Supplies was the third biggest gainer. The stock was up 41% to start July at $5.85. On the losing side now, Equity Line Mortgage Investment Corporation Preference Shares was last month's biggest loser. The stock was down 37% to open the new month at $1.02. 138 Student Living Variable Preference was the month's second biggest loser. It was down 21% to open July at $82.41. And Palace Amusement rounded up the month's biggest losers. The stock fell 20%, closing the month at $2.37. Over on the Trinidad and Tobago Stock Exchange, the Composite Index was down 3% last month. NCB Financial was the most traded stock for the month. The stock lost 50 cents to open July at $2.70 TT. National Flour Mills was the market's biggest gain up 9%. It opened the new month at $1.64 TT. And on the losing side, Unilever Caribbean fell 22% to open at $12.02 TT. Over in the U.S., the Dow Jones gained almost 5% in June, while the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq were up almost 7%. At the pumps, gas prices fell $3.87 for the month of June, while regular diesel prices fell $3.90 for the month and low-sulfur diesel fell $7.06. In foreign exchange, overall, the Jamaican dollar strengthened in June, losing $1.10 to close the month at an average $154.62 for the one U.S. dollar. The Canadian dollar and British pound also weakened. The euro also weakened for the month. Finally, on the crypto markets, Bitcoin prices rose 14% for the month, trading at $30,569 US on June 30. And Ethereum was up 3%, trading at $1,922 on June 30. This segment of Taking Stock, The Analyst, is brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart, and Profit Jumpstarter. Disclaimer. This is not intended as financial advice. Please consult a licensed financial advisor before making investment decisions. Welcome back. Welcome back. Just before I introduce our analyst panel for the evening, let me take a few more comments. So starting with Raquel, a girl Raquel says, happiest belated anniversary taking stock, three years old, June 29, 20. 23. Thank you for remembering, Raquel, because 
we didn't even do nothing for the big birthday, <laughs> the big, the big three, the big O3 <laughs> last week, Thursday. So thank you so much for pointing that out. Akeem says, I've been learning a lot from your program. I'm happy to help Akeem. Jermaine wants me to explain the nine to one split because he says he's a new student. Uh, hold on, Jermaine, because I have a video about that coming up later this week that explains it in detail. Or you can just Google my name, go on YouTube, same YouTube here, and type in Kalila Reynolds stock split. You'll find explanations. I've done it quite a few times. Leon says, smart and prudent businessman. Glad to see a family-centered business grow and innovate. Kudos, Daniel's legacy is safe with him at the helm. Thank you. Well, let me saying thank you on behalf of the people. Um, uh, yeah, thank you on their behalf. Uh, Elaine says, SOS is on fire. Leon also had a question about how the leaching NCB stock sale affects the current NCB bond sale in the court of public opinion. Well, I'd, we'd have to see how the bond actually does. But remember as well, Leon, that for Leachin to sell as many shares as he has, there has to be a buyer. So somebody believes in NCB. Or maybe many people still believe in NCB. Whoever is buying, remember, trades go both ways. So for him to sell, somebody had to have bought at that price. Yeah. Uh, Sonia wants to know, is the mentorship going to have to pay? So no. The mentorship program is free. It will be broadcast here on YouTube. For you to participate, you have to apply. Now, there are reserved spaces for members of the community, paid members of the community, but there are also some spaces for people who are not members because we want to make everybody have uh, access. What else do we have? Frankly says... Where can I buy the shares before the stock split? So frankly, you got to open up an investment account, contact your broker and get those shares. And Devon, final comment says, nine to one stock split is ridiculous because it will be trading back at $20 very soon after. You think so, Devon? How, how soon is very soon for you? Anyway, let us introduce our analyst panel for this evening. I'm joined by equity trader at JMMB Group, Clive Charlton and CEO of Profit Jumpstarter, Keisha Bailey. Welcome, Clive, and welcome, Keisha. Hello, hello. <laughs> Good to have you guys. Okay, so Clive, we're going to start with you because you have probably one of the hottest topics of the week. And I saw some people in the comments saying they were waiting for this. People have been waiting very patiently for the past couple of years, and that is Siboney. So FinSAC has finally sold its shares in Siboney and give us you know the update what's going on what are the implications you're muted okay yes sorry about that thanks again for having me and it's good to be on the program again this is an interesting topic yes siboney uh siboney uh you know there are two companies listed on the stock exchange as in the leisure tourism industry and that is D Cove and Siboney. Uh, you know, and interestingly, I'm looking at their last published financials up to August last year, and the, the auditors made a statement about it being a growing concern. Uh, with my, well, they are quite technical, right, as well as, you know, their regulatory and accounting rules and principles that they need to apply when they're doing these financials. And my thought was that it was not a growing entity in the sense that it was not producing any goods or services, it was not producing value. Right? It was simply an eggshell entity that exists. And it really is. 
but of course have some value. And this is why they remain listed on the stock exchange. In fact, it was in 2018 that they sold their last piece of non-performing asset. That is an asset that simply sat down a piece of property. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it had intrinsic value, you know, it being a piece of prime property. And they sold that in 2018. I'm looking at this uh, announcement. And they distributed that, a capital distribution of 34 cents per stock unit. In February 2018, that's the last um, significant value that the shareholders received from this company. Since then, nothing at all. And it was just not generating. Anyway, my thought was that it should have been delisted a long time ago. Well, they had, um, it's, it's, it has some value. And we now see that value being realized. Um, it's strange, though, because I asked myself a few questions. What, what, what is the benefit of them, uh, someone acquiring this company? I can tell you this, that perhaps about 15, 16 years ago, uh, JMB Securities Limited, the equity investment arm of JMB Investments, our leadership then, Mr. Williams, Leo Williams, uh, we were seeking some buyers. Well, we were trying to arrange um, a similar that type of arrangement for someone to buy this company. You know, as a, as a holding company for perhaps other entities, yeah? there's benefit to being listed on the stock exchange, as your previous guest noted. Uh, first and foremost, capital, we understand that. But also, um, exposure, he spoke to that also. Um, but it, it also provides you some opportunity. And there's some tax benefits also in terms of dividend payment, in terms of movement of shares. There are certain tax that you're exempt from by being a public listed entity. Uh, but I think the biggest opportunity then is the potential raising of capital, but also it exposes you in a regulatory and um, transparent manner to perhaps um, structure deals outside of the jurisdiction of Jamaica. For example, a public listed entity must have full disclosure in every respect. That is important to any company that may want to do business, whether they want to buy products from you, sell your products, or perhaps have an amalgamation or some type of strategic partnership. So that is the benefit that comes with a public listed entity. And I suppose that this is the main value or main reason for this entity to buy uh, Siboney. The big question I ask, though, how is value going to be transferred? The minority shareholders... The, 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 the significant shareholder, uh, IEC Energy Company Limited, um, they have paid some, there might have been some consideration to acquire this Siboney, more than likely a dollar, the nominal value, because it has negative equity value, which means that it assets owe to its, its, its um, obligations owe to its assets, negative value. Um, no PE, meaning that they, we can't give a number you know, for, 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 for a relative valuation measurement, even compare it to a peer or any other company. So they might have paid some nominal consideration, which is legal and necessary to do $1. But the minority shareholders, what value do they bring? How do they acquire value in this company? We know that the shares have been trading over the last several period time period. And we know that it is highly speculative because as I said, there's no, there's no business process going on to generate revenue, to create value. Eh? So it was highly speculated people are buying on this basis that they may sell. And if no one then saw the stock price peak up when the, the FinSAC uh, committee or board made some arrangement, you know, made yeah. some arrangement. Yeah. So whenever there was a rumor that there is you know, a buyer, then instead of price jump. Jumped up, you know. Um, but how, how will value be transferred? How do, you, do the minority shareholders get value and get worth? Um, well, 
I think it's about it's going to be a holding company. They can now transfer private asset um, by some legal means uh, under the holding of this company. Uh, they could perhaps also raise additional capital. That is, they could have a rights issue um, or raise some capital under this listed entity and get all the necessary tax benefits that may come from it. But the minority shareholders, who do you know? The, the question is, you know, if I put inject capital into a company by buying, paying a value for this company, then it means that they are free riders, uh, 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 you know, uh, who are just going to automatically get some value from this, you know. So I don't know how that it will be managed, you know, especially if they are already look at MFS Capital, SSL Venture Capital, and uh, now MFS Capital. Yeah, do you know absorb your private companies under this, which means that the minority shareholders automatically get some value? It means that you are splitting and cutting the value of your private entities, right? Or I think the perhaps next best route is to raise fresh new capital under the Siboney Group, so everyone now can partake equally as or as a legitimate paid-up. Uh, shareholder but as it is not right but there's also another question we don't know the stock price is moving and has moved on a speculative basis uh what we don't do well surely we're paying something for nothing because the net asset is negative right um we don't yet know also how it will be structured how it will be organized we don't know what type of assets they'll acquire under this holding company or what how what value of any asset they'll transfer under this holding company so as it is now it is still very much speculative we can say that in the future some value will come to the company yes we know that right but we don't know what that value is so as it so is still yeah let's just look at the stock price jump today clive as you talk about the stock price, so it was at 65 cents and it's jumped to 155 and it's up 32% today alone. And what, last year, year before, this was pennies. 2021, stock, yes, yes. Yeah, the stock was pennies when the speculation was in full swing. Uh, so people would have made multiples upon multiples if they bought at that point and held and now are, you know, offloading and selling now. Yes. And interestingly, what I noticed today, 2 point something million units traded. I was looking and you can also scan through the volume over the last year and just a few times all around a million units traded. Uh, perhaps four times it exceeded a million. So I think the market up to last year, a year over 12 months ago, was a little bit weary. Now that that news has come in, you can look at the volume traded. There has been a spike culminating in the highest volume traded today when compared to the last 12 months. But um, so so when you look at, well, in 2021, there's also a huge spike uh, on the basis that someone should have acquired the company. And in fact, it traded over $2. But then in 2021, I'm looking at some figures here in 2021, yeah, I don't have data. Yes, okay, this chart. fine. Yes, up to February 2021, traded as high as $2.13, right? And in that particular period, the stock had gained in excess, well, co well, 2021 compared to 2022, had gained in excess of 800% in value, in stock price value, I mean, right? So, um, and of course, it retreated right back to about 30 something cents, and now it has gone up again. Uh, well, there's more firmer, more fundamental news. Yes, it has been taken over, but we're still in the dark as to what the future um, 
structure of this company will be, what type of capital will be injected, what type of assets, you know, what will the business um, line be, you know, there are quite a few unknowns as of now, but I think the market is quite okay, the speculative market, that is, they're quite okay with that, they'll deal with that down the road when it comes. Yeah, so Philip has a question. Philip just wants some clarity. Are you positing that they may have paid a dollar total or a dollar per share? Well, it's negative asset, negative capital. I'm not saying that, no. Um, by accounting, by legal rule, I believe some nominal value must pass, a minimum a dollar. So I'm saying that the lowest they may have passed, transacted to, to the execute this transaction is $1. But more than likely, it has greater value. How do we measure that value? I'm speculating here, right? I'm just giving scenarios. What is the worth of it? It's a public listed entity. If you want to list a new company on the stock exchange, what is the cost of listing that new entity? So you can perhaps compare it to that. Uh, you have JC, regulator fees. You have um, accounting fees. You have lawyer fees, legal fees, and all these. If this amount to probably 10, 15, 20 million, then the value of this transfer could be um, around that. You see? So there's really a very wide range as at now. Right? So even though it has a negative equity, I don't think the buyer is concerned about that. I think what is of value to them is that this is a public listed entity. And the prospective value to them is, one, the potential ability to transfer um, earnings, that is to dividend payment at reduced rate, uh, tax rate, I should say, some tax rate may not apply, may will not apply to dividend payment. Um, the, the ability to move shares, again, with exempt from certain type of taxes, uh, the ability to raise additional capital as a public entity, right? And also, as I say, um, over time, you know, as a public listed and the proper disclosure and transparency requirement, you know, they have exposure to all other uh, entities throughout the world that they that they may or could do business with right so that is of significant value so i suspect that this would be of the greater value to these new to these buyers and that could cost what could it cost anything it could be in the millions of dollars but i'm just saying that legally you know one dollar there must be a consideration and the minimum consideration is or typically is one dollar but yeah. more than likely, remember to Philip, Phil, just for clarity, remember we did a story on Jamalco recently. The government sold its stake in Jamalco for one US dollar. So, so yeah, there's precedent for stuff like yes. that happening when a company has, as as Clive mentioned, negative assets. So we have a few questions and comments on this topic. Uh, Leon says, remember it may seem like a shell. However, the company has brand equity and business legacy. Roswell says the shareholders of Sibori must feel a sense of joy and relief. Ah, you put that <laughs> yes. R like if you yes, sound certainly. like you are one of the shareholders of Sibori, <laughs> Roswell. Is yes. you saying, ah, ha. <laughs> it sounds like it. And then Roswell again, I was wondering how is it that Sibori is trading on the JSC with no intrinsic value? Well, Clive, you yes. explained that. Yes. And then Strong Link saying raise capital to do what? I think you kind of started answering that as well. Then Rich is saying the history of this kind of transaction is that there is very likely to be an attempt to raise capital from the market, and that will then be used to create value. Yeah, yes, yes. No, exactly. So as I say, raise capital to do what? We don't know as yet. Um, if you, Well, if we can go back to some research on IEC, IEC Energy Company Limited, what are the assets they own? What type of business 
um, lines are they engaged in. We can perhaps get some idea as to what Sibon may be, you know, be registered as. Not, certainly not as a leisure and tourism company, but as something else that would have to be adjusted, right? Uh, so we can only guess and spell. But what is the value of this asset? We, do, we have no clue right now. So it is still highly speculative. Uh, the standard portfolio recommendation would not advise anyone to hold this in their portfolio. As a, you know, as a, no, you know, um, it is very, very highly speculative. We can only guess. But what one thing we believe, though, rationally, you know, is that there is some value coming, but what, how much is it? What is it? We don't know. Yeah, this is this is one for the risk takers and the speculators. Yeah, exactly. yes. If you're into, you want to set some some money aside to gamble upon this one, then there you go and see if yes. it pays off. Well, exactly. that's up to you, right? Depends on your risk yeah. tolerance, right, Clive? Exactly. Yes, so yeah, that is so. All right. Do I see any more comments on this one? Uh, just one, I think. Where is that comment? A strong link says dividends, but then there's no distributable profit, is there? No, <laughs> at least not no. No assets at all. Absolutely yeah, exactly. none. The last piece of asset that was um that 2018, that piece of land that they sold and they distributed that the, 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 the value of that. They sold it and distributed that already. So there has been no payment coming from them since then. And then strong link wants to know JSC rules don't require more disclosure. I suppose from the buyer. He that's, a, that's a very, you know, that's an interesting question. I would need to investigate that. I doubt it uh, because we have, that's a very good question. And that is some, a serious thing that perhaps the market should take up some, the market should take up, maybe brokers, maybe investing public should take up, you know, I mean, should there be more disclosure? You know, who are you? That's a very good question that I cannot answer, but it is something that should be thought of and should be considered. Okay. You know, Kalila, maybe you could take that up with the JC. <laughs> maybe I could. They're not too happy with me right now. I can tell you that. <laughs> they kind of vexed me since last week, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, let's move on. So, Keisha, you're looking this week at the U.S. Federal Reserve. They said 23 of the biggest banks in the U.S. have survived its severe recession scenario stress test. What does this mean for us? So typically what happens, um, this is post-2008, and everybody will remember the, you know, the global financial crisis and all of these banks having that domino effect where one bank failed, caused another bank to fail, another bank to fail, and it rolled right into Main Street where the average person was losing a lot of money. So since then, the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is like the central bank for the U.S., they have decided that every year we are going to run a stress test where we ensure that banks have enough capital to withstand any negative occurrence that would happen. So they look at 23 of the biggest banks in the country, the top banks, and they create a scenario to say, if interest rates go up, I can give you the specifics of this particular recession. It was if unemployment went up to 10% and there was a 40% decline in commercial real estate, as well as a 38% decline in residential real estate prices, how would banks look? What would happen to their capital? And great news is that all of the U.S. banks passed. No, the thing is when banks pass the stress test, they're able to now go ahead and pay dividends. Because what the Federal Reserve wants to ensure is that banks can pay out dividends, but they still have enough capital to withstand any 
um, negative scenario that may occur. So banks now in the U.S., you're going to see them start issuing um, releases about paying dividends and also possibly doing share buybacks because essentially they have enough capital to withstand any um, unforeseen event. The thing is, though, the smaller banks, which is where the problem is in the U.S., the regional banks, their stress test results weren't that favorable because their capital is much smaller. And so if put to that same stress test, they didn't do as well. They still passed, but they weren't as strong as the bigger banks. So a lot of eyes these days are on the regional banks because recall a couple months ago, there was a lot of panic happening, a lot of um, bankruptcy. Yeah. Banks. So that's where the focus is. So yes, you know, the big banks, the JP Morgans, they will always do great. The Wells Fargo's of the world, they do great, but it's really the regional banks that, uh, that pose the risk right now. So is it all of the banks that have to do the stress test before they can pay out dividends? Yes, that's the rule coming out of 2008 because banks didn't really, and banks generally, you know, the business is lending out <laughs> funds. So if you're paying out all funds in loans and there is a severe economic crisis, what happens then to your capital? You may have capital issues, capital adequacy issues, which right. is very important. So coming out of 2008, the Federal Reserve said, you know what, we're going to do this annual stresses to make sure that our banks are capitalized. Right. So, but this is just the 23 biggest, but does it say like if any of the other ones, because the ones that went under, I don't think they were among the 23 biggest, were they? No, those were all regional banks, much smaller, right? So they, they came through okay, but not as great as the, the big banks. So the thing with, with the stress test, it's just the scenario that's created by the, the U.S. Federal Reserve. A different scenario could occur that was never modeled for. True. And that could create like a different COVID. result. So for example, <laughs> pandemic, nobody would have modeled for a health-related economic crisis because that was the first time ever of this magnitude. So usually the variables that are shocked, you know, unemployment, interest rates, real estate prices, that's that those are the variables that the stress says. It's not usually, all right, let's look from a health perspective and the trickle on effects, right? Because no one would have anticipated that. Right, right. So this is a great indication of what to expect. And this could be your first warning that something is wrong if there's a bank, for example, that you are invested in. Well, all the banks pass, so no warning yet. I mean, no, but I'm saying if there was to be a bank that didn't pass, then that bank stock price would fall a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, they would have to also go now to raise more capital because it would mean that the bank doesn't have enough capital to withstand any crisis that would come. So they, they wouldn't be paying out any dividends. They wouldn't be doing any share buybacks. They would have to now be looking to raise additional capital, whether through a bond or doing a additional offering or a rights issue, but they would need to raise additional capital. You know, I like that this is public. So the stress test is done by the U.S. Federal Reserve and the results are public. So we can be here talking about how the banks all passed them. And if there was a bank that didn't you know, pass the stress test, we would also know. And you mentioned something, the capital adequacy. Adequacy ratios, yes. Right. So, so Stronglink was asking me why the JSC vexed me. And it was because of that video I did last week about capital adequacy ratios and one of our brokers not meeting the capital adequacy ratio. And, you know, they haven't said who the broker is. 
so do you think that that's something that we should do here in Jamaica, that we should you know, make that public, have full transparency and say, you know, have this transparency and then let people know who's doing well and who's not? So here's the thing. The stress test is a model. It doesn't really represent a real live event. It's a model created by persons within the institutions. They will say, all right, let us create this scenario, which may not occur, right? So stress tests, in, by their definition, are low probability events. And so releasing names can cause undue panic because really what a stress test is saying is if this low probability event that we made up occurs, then the bank would have capital adequacy issues. However, a couple of things, low probability. We made up the event. It may not occur. So I can see a side of, okay, we don't want to create undue panic around an event that we modeled, we created, versus an actual real life event where think, you know, COVID-19, the pandemic and the impact there to capital for the banks. A lot of banks quickly had to go and secure their capital status. So that naturally happens because the bank should have the different policies and procedures in place so that once crisis hits, they know exactly what their next steps need to be. Okay, point taken. Yeah. But just to be clear, what happened, what we reported on last week was a real life event in which a broker did not meet that capital adequacy ratio. Right, But right. I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm also gonna throw this in there. It has nothing to do with what you just mentioned. Yeah, we went overboard with the title of the, of the video. The title of the video was Another Broker Goes Broke, which was unfair of us to say. And I'm going to say this here. I'm, I was supposed to do a video saying that, but then I got sick. And so this is my first time you know, back on camera since all of that happened. So it wasn't unfair of us to say another broker goes broke because it's not what happened. Broker didn't go broke. But the whole capital adequacy issue is a real and important issue that we should be paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, that's what we need for the vibe they, you know, the, the financial markets to continue to exist. It is important, but the strength of the, the stress test is really what drives the report, right? And what goes into the creation of the scenario. Right. So Leon says, I wonder how our Caribbean banks would perform under a stress test. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, well, some of our banks are rated internationally, so so we have that to look at as well. Right. So rating agencies, this is what they do. They create stress scenarios and run different institutions through it. So it, it's all there. There are reports. But again, it points back to the scenario. We have to understand the scenario first. Not to say, well, you know, we do a stress test and this bank failed. Is the scenario realistic? That's the first okay. question to ask. Yeah. All right, cool. So Philip yes. said, glad you made that clarification. Glad I made the clarification. Preservation of confidence is important. Yeah, people, people vexed me last week. Keisha, what I tell you, the amount of phone call that I got last wow. week over that is all right. And then Roswell says, this is why SSL did what they did: lack of transparency, and people lost their funds. So the transparency issue is one that's you know, that's that's what a lot of people have an issue with. Yeah. All right. So those two big stories have been covered. Clive, Keisha, thank you so much. Keisha, you have a big event of your own coming up in yes, August. That you're, you're going to be at. I <laughs> yes. will for sure. I just told my husband last night, I'm like, 
So we're planning our family vacation. I'm like, we have to be back by the 19th. <laughs> so what? Make sure we're back here by the 19th because I have Keisha events. So, so yes. Uh, Build Wealth with Real Estate Conference, August 19th. The tickets are going really fast. They are. We ran a sale um, over the last few weeks that a lot of people jumped on. Yes, I, people bringing them friends, everybody coming in. So it's going to be at the AC Hotel on Saturday, August 19th. Um, tickets are on sale. Um, we have the powerhouses, the powerhouses, the who's who to teach you about real estate investing so that you can be profitable with your real estate investing. We're going to have that networking will be there as well. So if you, your next deal could be there. Your next client could be there. So you got to be there. We're flying in the, the big dogs, the big wigs. Um, to um, come in and discuss real estate investing with everyone. So if you want to grab your tickets, it's profitjumpstarter.com slash conference. That's where they are. Grab, grab them up every day. We're, we're constantly, you know, making sure that we are going to be wowing you with the networking, wowing you with the experience, wowing you with the education and connections that you're going to get at the event. And for those of you who attended real estate for beginners inside the money mission right. a couple of weeks ago, that is the tip of the iceberg. That was a taste. Yeah, that was that me. Was, that was one hour. This event is all day. Right. All and that was me just talking about what I have done. Let me tell you yeah. something. I asked Keisha to come out like last minute, the same yes. day. I was like, Keisha, just come on and talk to us for like 15 minutes. And Keisha gave us a master class, a yeah. proper, proper master class in that space at time so imagine what mm -hmm. keisha is going to deliver on the 19th at ac hotel make sure yeah. you are in the room thank you so much keisha always a pleasure keisha the teacher let's take a very quick break and come back with final comments this segment of taking stock the analyst was brought to you by jmmb group your best interest at heart and profit jump starter Okay, a couple other comments here regarding rules, JSC rules. Tavares says the rules are there and clear. What are the rules? Tell us now. Share, share with us for people who don't know. And Yared Lee saying the same thing. The rules and laws speak to that process. I need to research it because I don't know what it is like off the top of my head. I have to go look, up, look that up and see what the rules actually say. What else do we have? Uh, Leon says after SSL, a couple more frauds in the FinSec sector etc the public is obviously nervous thanks for a great program as usual strong link says the bull doing a little shuffling on the dow s p etc getting ready to charge or is it just uh, a what type of bluff your word's too big for me today i don't know that one uh, robert says thank you for showing up although you are sick yeah i'm going home to go rest now and you will see me again next week Fortunately, we have some videos in the bag, so we have some recordings that have already been done, and we have content for a few more days. Supposed to record some new videos tomorrow. Hopefully, you know, my eyes look a little bit better, and I'm feeling a little bit better tomorrow, and we can get some more stuff done for the rest of the week. But in the meantime, make sure you like the video. Like it up, like it up. Subscribe to the channel and share with a friend. Subscribe to the newsletter at kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. Turn on the post notifications, join the Money Mission community because we want to help people learn more about money so we can all get this money together.
follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Kalila Ray. Oh, by the way, thank you for your feedback, guys. Last week, I asked whether I should do the paid verification on IG because apparently it's now available for Jamaica. But there's always a give and take. So it was telling me that I have to be a personal profile, not a creator profile. And if I switch from creator to personal, it said that I was going to lose all my insights. And 80% of you said, don't bother do it. Just wait until it becomes available for creators. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait. So remember that at Kalila Ray and at KRM underscore business news is my, those are my only accounts on IG. I don't have any backup accounts. Same thing with TikTok. So if anybody contacts you trying to sell you crypto or get you to give them money to invest in crypto or anything at all, I don't do that. So just report the page. You don't even have to bother tell me about it. Just report it, block them, and let the community know. If you want to connect with the analysts this week, check the description box below for their contact information. You can also visit our website, kalilareynolds.com, for financial information you can use however you like it watch, listen, or read. We also want you to tell a friend about taking stock because investing is the new sexy and we want to make it cool to talk about money. I'm Kalila Reynolds. Thanks for watching and see you soon. Let's get this money. <laughs> <laughs>